All right. Well, let's get to the Bible here this morning. Matthew. Matthew in chapter number six. We'll get back to our series. Matthew in chapter number six. If you'll find your place there, by the way, also youth conference coming up at the end, I'm sorry, at the beginning of August. And I'd encourage you if you haven't already and you have some time, even if it's just for one of the services or something along those lines that you can help out. <clears throat> there's meals to be served. There's cleanup to be done. There's bags to be assembled. And so we have about a thousand young people generally that come to that meeting. So it's a, it's a monument, monumental event. And so if you uh, would sign up for that, that'd be a great help. And uh, many hands make light work. You ever hear that saying? Many hands make light work. And so I know many of you have helped many years. So really do appreciate that, of course. <clears throat> Okay, well, uh, we're in Matthew chapter 6 again, and Jesus is meeting with his disciples uh, to help them know what it's going to take and, and how to reach the world is his idea. He, he sees the multitudes there before him, but he's instructing just his disciples, not preaching at this time to the whole multitude, but in sight of the multitude, saying some things to them that they need to hear so they, in turn, could reach the multitude. All right, so we've, uh, we've, we've made it all the way to chapter 6, and we're going to pick it up in verse number 19 uh, here this morning. And you may say, well, what about the section on fasting? I am not intentionally skipping that because I'm a Baptist or something like that who likes to eat, right? Uh, fasting, Jesus didn't say if you fast, but he said when you fast. To, uh, to do it this way. And we've really already covered the gist of what he's getting at, not to do it for the praise of men, but to do it for the Lord. And so no doubt they're gonna, there's going to be another message where we're just really going to deal with what does biblical fasting look like? Because I'm telling you, um, hey, it needs to be a part of our lives. And I realize everybody's got different health conditions and some can fast longer and, and some can fast shorter amounts of time, but um, not to violate the text here, but just to say this, the times when I've set aside food to seek the Lord, I'm telling you, every single time, <laughs> without fail, every time, God has showed me something that I needed to know. So what are you saying? I'm saying it works because God told us to do it and, and he comes through. And so anyways, there's a lot more that could be said about fasting. But let's get to our text here today. Matthew 6, verse 19. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, where th and where thieves break through and steal, or today we could even say, or take it right off your front porch. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look at verse 22. He gives an illustration, a contrast of two visions. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. In other words, you'll see where you're going. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. 
If therefore the light that is in thee is darkness, how great is thy darkness. We'll explain that a little bit later. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus said, you, you can't do it. You cannot serve God and mammon. Now, the rest of the text goes on. I, I'm not going to have you stand to read it all, but he's, he begins in verse 25 to say, take no thought for your life. In other words, he's saying this, don't get all worked up and worried, worried about how ends are going to meet. And he, he brings it all down to say this, God will take care of you. And we're going to save that for another message. But verse 32, I would like for you to look at this. For after all these things, all these material things, do the Gentiles seek, be those that are outs, outsiders, lost, people that don't know God. All these things do the Gentiles seek. So he began the chapter with the scribes and Pharisees and he ends it with the irreligious Gentiles. And he says this, for your heavenly father knoweth what you have need of, have need of all these things. And here's the key, I think, to this part of the passage. But seek ye first the kingdom of God. Well, if it's the kingdom of God, that means he's ruling, right? Let him rule. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. So this morning, our message in our series, Jesus is King, is entitled this, The, mis the Misleading appeal of a secular life. The misleading appeal of a secular life. May God bless the reading of his word as you're seated. We'll consider this, I think, in very important passage here together. The misleading appeal of a secular life. Maybe you remember the days of um, your kids or even as a kid having a view master. How many of you remember, know what I'm talking about with the old view master? You know, you put the, you put the circular film in and away you go, right? That was awesome, wasn't it? So you're looking through that view master. Uh, I guess they're antique now. I don't know, but you can probably still find them. But anyways, you're looking through that view master and and, you know, holding up to the light and what you see, man, that image is so vivid and real. And I mean, I remember as a kid seeing that and thinking, look at that. <laughs> you ever do that? Reaching out, trying to grab it and it's not there. All right. Now, modern day, modern day Viewmaster would be a VR headset, a virtual reality headset, you know, and. And I actually, I preached with one one time and it was rather dangerous. So I decided not to do that again because I mean, this platform is precarious and, uh, but you got that, you've got that on. And I mean, you know, I, I just wonder if like America's funniest uh, videos, is it like somehow in cahoots with a VR headmaster or head headset company 
Because, I mean, inevitably, you know, somebody's got that on and they, they think they see this. I mean, they're, they're going, you know, down the hill skiing or, or they're boxing. Next thing you know, they punch their brother or their sister, right? You've seen those videos or, or they're on the edge and they, they don't realize. They don't realize how close, how close they are to the TV. And so they leap. I mean, full body leap and poof, run right into the TV. Well, it was misleading. It was, uh, they thought it was, I mean, it was like right there. You're talking about like feeling like you could touch it. But it was, it was just an illusion. It, it, it didn't represent how things really are. More and more in our day and in our culture, I believe there is definitely an effort, an agenda to try to sell us a VR headset known as secularism, just a secular life, a, a life without God, a life without God, a life that's, listen, all about what's going on right here. And right now, a life that's that. I mean, you can just touch it. So you feel so you think. I mean, it's just like right there. A life without God, the word secular, um, it means, you know, dealing with worldly things, <clears throat> things that are not regarded as religious, spiritual or sacred, temporal, not pertaining to or connected to religion, all right? Now, that's a broad definition. You get it? I mean, that's just what you'd find if you were to look it up. But it basically means this. I'm going to live for what I see right now. It does not involve God. It excludes God. And I think the world is doing a good job trying to sell it to us. Secular America. If you uh, look up, you know, the secularization of America, I mean, you're going you're gonna to see some articles right there. Um, you know, and, and, we, and we do, we think about secular. Well, we, we have sacred music and secular music. I like, if I could just pause right there. I, I like what my father-in-law, he helped us in, uh, as young people with music because music has a big impact. Well, you got to peg your music, he said. P-E-G, peg it. Peg, like hang, if you're going to have a, you know, your coats hanging up on a peg, you know, so he said, peg your music. There's some music that is profitable to sing about. And can it be it's profitable? There's some music that is empty, like happy birthday to you. If somebody's singing happy birthday to you messes with your spiritual life, you've got a very weak spiritual life. Like if it sends you down a wrong road, friend, I'm telling you, your, your spiritual well-being is suspect. There's empty music, empty music. And then letter G, you might guess it, there's garbage. Okay. Garbage. So there's secular music. There's secular education. There's secular work. But, but I, I want to, listen, here's what we're looking at. We're looking at this through the eyes of our Savior as he's speaking to his disciples to say this, 
You're my disciples. I don't want you to compartmentalize your life so that part of it is secular and part of it is sacred. You say, well, I thought that's how it was. Well, okay, let me run this by you. What part of your life should not your faith in Jesus have an impact? What part of your life should it not impact? Can you, can you work your job one way and then, and then be a Christian at church a different way on Sundays? Well, a lot of Christians live that way. But that's, that's not right. A.W. Tozer said, you are, not a, you are not a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body. You say, what, what's the difference? Well, the difference is in the emphasis. If, if, I'm a, if I'm a body that has a soul, then my whole life is about what I do in my body. But my body, this body, is only temporary. I'm finding that out every year. Right? <laughs> Just wait. Okay, thank you, Brother Mike. That is so true. I'm telling you, this is temporary. There was a day when this body could do a lot more than what it can do right now. I can still do it right here. You know, I'm going to play some softball this week, you know, God willing, with the young people. And man, in my mind, I can still throw it, you know, with semi-accuracy. I can still run and, and hit the base just right. And, but now my body says, no, you can't. Not anymore. My body, my mind says, you can still slide. My body says, you better not if you want to keep walking. And if you, I did, I slid into third the other day and at the campus we were practicing. And man, it, it, was, it was first time in probably 20 years that I'd slid. And mercy, that kind of felt good and then it didn't, you know. <laughs> but, but listen, we are, you're not a body that has a soul. You are a soul and your soul, the spirit soul, the immaterial part of you will live forever. And even this body, Jesus says, is going to be put in the grave after you're dead. And then it's going to be resurrected and changed like he arose. Our body is going to rise and, and be changed like into his glorious body. And I don't know what that'll be. And John said, we don't know what, exactly what that'll be like, but we know we'll be like him when we see him as he is. So listen, you are a soul. You are a soul that has a body. And, and that body is just to be able to help you move around. But your body's not who you really are. Your soul is who you really are. You say, preacher, that's too deep for me to think about on a Sunday morning, but it's important for us to think about it because what I'm basically trying to say is this. We've got to understand just how important our spiritual lives are. Because the world is trying to get us to put on their glasses and see how exciting life could be without God. Now, I got to be real careful right here because I could bog down. It's not my intent. I just, I just did a real quick search. This is, to be very transparent with you, a last minute effort last night. Just kind of, I wonder, I wonder how bad secularization is in, in the United States of America. Okay, if you don't want to get depressed, don't look that up. Okay. But I came across, I mean, the very first article, as I did, the secularization of, Amer of the United States, L.A. Times, um, Okay, that's it. I'll move on to the next point then. So, <laughs> had an article by a gentleman that said, Why America's record godlessness is, a, is good news for the nation. 
Now, if I read all this article, I'd make a lot of you mad, right? Because you care about America and the things of God. He, he, I, I am going to, I'm just going to hit a few high points to show how that there's, there's a calculated effort to just, just live for this world right here. Now, listen, that's not anything new. Jesus was dealing with it then. Uh, Solomon dealt with it in his day. And, and prior to that, in Genesis, they were dealing with it then. So it is absolutely nothing new. Paul dealt with it as they said, eat, drink, be merry. The, the bodies for meat and the meat for the bodies. I mean, it's just saying, live life to the full right now. Don't worry about God. Don't worry about eternity. There's no such thing, some would say. And others would say, ah, there may be a God, but you're not going to stand before him. And he's just got all this set in motion. Now we just live it up however we want to. Friend, listen, that's wrong thinking. The writer of the article says the secularization of the United States society, the waning religious faith, practice, and affiliation is continuing at a dramatic and historically unprecedented pace. And that's exactly right. It is. While many may consider such a development as a cause of concern, such a worry is not warranted, he says. It's like this, peace, peace. It's okay. It's okay. The increasing godliness in America is actually a good thing to be welcomed and embraced. It is, if you're looking for a society that does everything that is right in their own eyes. Then he said this, democratic societies that that have experienced the greatest degrees of secularization are among the healthiest, wealthiest, and safest in the world, enjoying relatively low rates of violent crime and high degrees of well-being and happiness. Clearly, he says, clearly, a rapid loss of religion does not result in societal ruin. So, I wondered how things were going in Portland and Seattle. And I wonder if he had Chicago in mind when he wrote this, who by July has already had 2,000 shootings, a democratic society that's saying, we don't want God in here. I, I wonder if he had them in mind as this past a couple of weeks ago, July 4th weekend, they had 104 shootings, 19 fatal, 13 of them including children. I'm telling you, friend, we need God in our society. It goes on, secular people are more supportive of sex education and reduces unwarranted pregnancies and sexually transmitted diseases. I don't know where in the world this guy got any kind of facts. He didn't get them. He's just making sweeping statements. And they are more without, uh, secular people are more likely to support women's reproductive rights. I put in here also known as abortion. Universal health care, also known as socialism. That was my part. Gay rights, also known as abomination to God and against nature. Environmental protections, I didn't deal with all these. Death with dignity, also known as assisted suicide. Gun safety regulation, which means this, you have none. No guns. And treating drug abuse as medical rather than a criminal problem all of which will serve to increase dignity, liberty, and well-being in America. Man, they make it sound so good. 
Except when you think about what that does to an unborn child who's been aborted. What happened to their dignity? What happened to their liberty? What happened to their well-being? And then, okay, I'm done with this. I got to be done because I'm steaming. It concluded the article with a reference or at least an allusion to our text. When he said, the organic secularization we are experiencing in the United States is a progressive force for good. One that is associated with improved human rights, more protections for the planet Earth, and increased social socio-cultural propensity to make this life as fair and as just as we can in the here and now, rather than in a heavenly reward that fewer and fewer of us believe in. That's it. In other words, it's basically a mentality, a mindset in our country that is saying this, here, put these on. And, and then it's like this, why do we need God anyway? I've shared this before, but I'll never forget. Brother Joel Creekmore, who worked at Microsoft, had a very lucrative job and walked away from it. He and his wife both walked away from it to go into church planning. You know how much money there is in church planning? Not much. All right, in case you're wondering, man, was that a good move financially for him to make to go into being a church planner? No, he had to raise support and he had to work a job and had to do some things to kind of make ends meet. Are you listening to me? I mean, it's tough. It's rugged. It's not easy. And he's, and he's doing so right there in Bellevue, uh, Washington. But, but he's knocking the door. And I may have this story mixed up. If it wasn't him, then it was somebody like him that, that is knocking doors there in Washington. And, and, and he knocked on the person's door and the person said, here, come here, come here just a minute. Look out here. You see this landscaping? Look at this. You see, you see those two cars there, high dollar cars? He turned around and said, you see this house? And then he said this, why do I need God? Why do I need God? It's the mindset. It, it's, that, it's that mindset of just a secular life. Now, like I said, it's not anything new because I just came through a portion of Ecclesiastes and, and Solomon. This is Solomon who had way more money than Bill Gates. Who had a buku of money. A bunch of money. Said, I tried to find pleasure everywhere. And you know where I found it? And he listed all the areas in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 where he tried to find meaningful life. And he, he came down to this conclusion as he said, I had maid servants, I had men servants, I had pools, I had landscaping, I had silver, I had gold, I had it all, friend. I had it all, and here's what I found it's vanity of vanities. It's vexation of spirit. I found myself empty. I tried to live my life without God and I came up empty. And if Solomon did so and every person since then did so, you will not be the first to say, well, I'll live God with, live life without God and have a meaningful life. No, you won't, friend. You'll find it exactly the same way because Satan has not changed his tactics in any way really since the Garden of Eden when he came to Adam and Eve and he tempted them to eat the fruit. Yes, I understand that, but it was much more than that. It was this. He was tempting them to live life independent of God. 
Make your own choices, do your own thing, be your own ruler, be your own boss. God's holding things back from you that's good for you, that really he's being selfish. God is mean, God is cruel. You can't trust God, trust yourself. Put these glasses on. It's misleading. It's deceptive. It's guiding wrongly. It's appealing. It's attractive. There's something about it. You look at it, man, I could have that career. I could have that job. I could have that position. But I probably won't be able to make it on Wednesday nights. I could be well known in this area. I could really develop my skills in this area. It's going to take a lot of dedication. Hey, by the way, I, I'm, I'm trying, I'm going to get to it. You're going to say, are, are you saying God's against dedication, hard work? Absolutely not. But here's the problem. When you make things of this life your ultimate goal without regard for what God says and you're living a secular life, you're being misled and I'm, ask, I'm asking everybody here today to, to take off the headset that has been issued to you that is viewing things and possessions that this world affords, all that comes with it. I want you to set it aside today so you can see what our Savior said about things that are eternal in value. Eternal in value. I think what we have here, in terms of the connection in this chapter, is this. You really have a pendulum swing from, from one side of the spectrum to the other side of the spectrum. In the first chapter, I never really noticed this connection between the two. But, but here it is. On the first side of this, you have this. You have these scribes and Pharisees that were living for the praise of men because of their giving skills and their prayer skills and their fasting skills and who they were and everybody calling them rabbi and rabbi and master and father and prestige and power. And by the way, the scribes and Pharisees don't think they were without money. They had a bunch of money. They had a lot of money. And so here you have this religious facade. And hang, hang with me here just a moment. Think about it. Here it is. Many would say in that society and say, they would say that is real spiritual people there. They go to the synagogue. They're at the temple all the time. They do all these religious things. But Jesus said they're hypocrites. There's two versions of that. There's a hypocrite that maybe would, would live this spiritual facade and yet have a secret sinful life. And really, they're no different than the people living over there. Only they hide it better. There's that version right there. The other version of it is, is rooted really in the same thing. By the way, both of these are rooted in the same thing. 
All right. Over here, you could also have somebody that is moral. I think about like a Nicodemus or, or like, uh, like others that maybe Joseph of Arimathea. Some of these that, that I, I don't know. I don't know all of their hearts, but they kind of strike me in the Bible. It's a little bit different than your typical Pharisee who is trying to get all the praise of men. I, maybe they were like that at one time in life, but I see them a little bit differently. I, I see that they, they have this religious uh, um, approach to life, very, very spiritual, we would say, and yet their motivation still was wrong because it was still more about themselves. They were selfish, prideful. I told you about the, the, the Jews that I saw there in, in, in Canada, in Quebec, and, and how that they had, I mean, they were decked out for the Sabbath day. And then what, what I'll never forget about that trip was this. Immediately, we also drove down to the south side of town where we're on a street called Catherine Street. And, and Catherine Street or Catherine Drive was several miles long. And it was just, it was kind of like our... Um, Times Square, I guess you'd say. I mean, a lot of lights and flashing, but a lot of rainbows stuff. And, and I mean, just a lot of sensuality. I mean, to be very honest with you, very sensual, just, just everywhere you looked. I mean, it was quite a contrast from the Jews that were living in all kinds of religious laws and obligations, not only what God gave them to live by, but what they've concocted themselves to make themselves look spiritual. And then you had this totally secular way of life that was just blatant. And, and in your face, we don't care what people think. We don't care what God thinks. We're going to live and do what we want to do. But I'm telling you, both of those are rooted in the same thing. And it's namely this, selfishness and pride. It's the same thing. It's, it's living independent of God. It's the same thing. And so Jesus is dealing with this, this side now. He's already dealt with this side. But I think maybe what's happened here could be this. It could be that somebody saw the phoniness of this group that called themselves spiritual, and they said something like this, if that's what it means to be a servant of God, I don't want anything to do with it because they're a bunch of fakes, they're a bunch of phonies, they're a bunch of hypocrites. I'm going to go over here and live like I want to live in my world doing my thing. Are you following me? It could be that way, and sadly, that happens today. And it can be that some people look at even Christians, modern day Christians, and they say, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want anything to do with it because they're just as hateful. They're just as mean and, and, and mean spirited. They're just as, as carnal. They're, they're just as, as, um, as impure. And, and they may look good. I mean, listen, they go to church on Sunday. They go to church on Sunday, but they're, they'll listen to the same music that I listen to. They watch the same things that I watch. They do the same things that I do. They say the same things that I do. And they're turned off by this. And so they go and live over here without God. Both are in trouble. I said both are in trouble. So whatever side of the spectrum you may find yourself on today, if you're without God, then you're in trouble, I'm saying to you. And it could be that some over here also were looking over here and saying, I can never live up to this. I can never live up to God's standard. And listen, the truth is, it's true. You can't, but the Spirit of God living within you can enable you to have a desire for God and to serve God with your life. But we're dealing today with the fact that there are some, and Jesus knew that his disciples could be allured by the appeal. They could be allured here to try to get the praise of men, but then they could be allured here to try to live for the things of this world. And that's why Jesus said, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth. Now, what does he mean? Well, sometimes if I'm looking at what he means, it also helps to consider what does he not mean? Well, does he mean that you can't have a 
A retirement plan? No. I mean, God, um, God commends those who have forethought. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Cold days are coming. Now summertime, put some food back. And Joseph stockpiled, accumulated over those seven years, didn't he? The seven years of plenty, he accumulated that uh, wealth and ability. But, but here's, here's the point. He wasn't doing that because that was what his goal and pleasure was in life. There's the difference. So it doesn't mean God's against you having a secular job. I mean, if you work in the secular world, but I, I, know, that, I know that I'm preaching to people that understand that although I work in, in a warehouse or in hardware or as a mechanic or an electrician or a teacher, et cetera, et cetera, in the world, my real goal and passion in life is to serve the Lord. Now, you need to keep that focus. But you also need to understand this. You're going to be tempted to pick up that alluring. Oh, man, what if we had, what if we, oh, wow. You listening? Here's what Jesus said. Um, moth could eat those clothes up. Um, <clears throat> rust could ruin your precious metals. And whatever you've been able to safeguard, however you've been able to safeguard it, even if you kept the malls out and the rust out, still could be stolen. So you need a treasure in this life that you don't have to insure on this side. I'm glad to tell you there'll be no Geico commercials in heaven because you won't need to bundle anything in heaven. It's all safeguard. It's all secure. You say, some of you are going to go into shock because you love the Geico commercials. Man, I'm going to miss that. Hey, listen, I'm telling you, you won't have to worry about insurance. Now that sounds really good. You won't have to worry about car insurance or health insurance or house insurance and insurance on insurance. Hey, hey, we don't have to worry about it. Why? Because it's secured by a loving heavenly father. The things that are of God, the things that really matter, the things that are eternal, they are secured by God. Moth won't come in. Rust won't come in. Thieves cannot break through and steal if you live for the things that are eternal. Uh, what are you living for? Are you living for those things eternal? I see a lot of people out on the lake. I'm, I'm not against the lake. I like being out on the lake. And I know I'm preaching to you. You're here on a Sunday morning. That's a nice Sunday morning. It's not 105. It's a rare July. And you think, man, it'd be nice to be out there bass fishing. Huh? <laughs> but Ted just, just said, mm. <laughs> I love bass fishing. I love especially crappie fishing because I love to fit, eat crappie. But, but I, I'm just saying, okay, I'm off track right here. Focus. Um, comes the Lord's day, you didn't need to be in the Lord's house. I believe it was uh, one of the teachers at Vacation Bible School was asking about the different seasons. I think Trent was in that class and he was telling me about this. And what are the different seasons that we have? You know, think about summer and fall and winter. And one, one young man raised his hand and said, deer season. 
That's a pretty good answer. You know, you got summer, spring, summer, fall, deer season, winter. <laughs> it's pretty good. Um, but hey, even if it's deer season, you need to be in the Lord's house. Because yeah. that, that mount that's on the wall is dead. That's it. And um, someday it's all going to burn up. It don't matter how much money you paid for it, how much to preserve that moment. It's going to burn up. You, you need to live for something that's not going to burn up at the end. And there's a lot of things to enjoy in this life, but my soul, then we have to work so hard to keep it all against moles and gophers and rats and possums and coons. And am I telling the truth? I mean, you got to safeguard against everything. You wear yourself out worried about what you worked so hard to get. Jesus says, here's what you need to do. Lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven. It does not mean you cannot have wealth here. That's not what it means at all because, because Abraham had great wealth. David had great wealth. Solomon had great wealth. That was not a problem until they got their focus on it. I was driving down 44th Street, going to pick up Angie and come back here after before Sunday school and I saw somebody out mowing their yard. I saw somebody crossing the street, not walking very well, like maybe they'd been drinking. You follow what I'm saying? But then I saw a dark blue bus, bus 19. <laughs> Stopped on the side of the road, south side of 44th Street, picking up some kids. I saw a worker out going up to the door and asking those kids to come on. Now, now, wait a minute. Let's think about this. Is that bus eternal? No. No. I mean, it's a church bus. We, we do well. We try to buy good. But I mean, it's going to wear out. But I tell you what is eternal. The souls that came on that bus. Those souls are eternal. And the character that you try to develop, like it's a godly character. That has to do with who you are in Christ. That has eternal value and consequence. Are you listening to me here this morning? And the money that you give to missions and to, and to, to tithing. In fact, if you, want to, if you want to see where you are on all this, maybe just check, check your giving records. Or check your financial records. That'll tell you a whole lot. What do you really value? And I, hey, look, we got to buy stuff. We got to shop. Uh, we got to pay. And I mean, it used to be kind of like this, Walmart, Walmart, Walmart. Now it's probably more like Amazon, 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 something like that. Am I right? I mean, you're going to have to do those things. Jesus is not, not saying don't do any of that, but he's saying this, don't let that be your focus. Because if your eye be single, in other words, he's saying the way the eye works, it lets, eye, it lets light into one point on the retina. Are you following me? And as long as it's coming in there and it's hitting that one point properly, you're going to see very clearly. But if you have an astigmatism, you have nearsightedness, farsightedness, you have some problems there, then what's happening is those rays are coming in and it's distorted. You're not seeing clearly. I'm telling you what would not be a good, good idea for me to do. It would not be a good idea for me to, uh, I saw Brother, Brother uh, Luke coming in and I said, hey, did you get... Uh, did you get uh, uh, contacts? And he did, because I'm used to seeing him in glasses. But, but here, it, I tell you what, it wouldn't be a good idea for me. It wouldn't be a good idea for me to get in this car here in just a little bit and to drive to Springfield like this. You know why? 
Because I, I have no idea who's sitting there. I mean, I kind of remember. Brother Andy, you still there? It's not good. I need something to help me see. Because the way the light's coming in is it's refracted. It's, it's not single focused. What, what we need is for the Lord to help us to see things. To see things clearly. Because if we don't, and we're making decisions without clarity. I'm not saying you're always going to get it wrong, but I, I'm, I am going to say that, that you, you could be living your life rather dangerously if you're not looking at things through the eternal lens of Scripture to see, okay, what's really eternal? What really matters here? Because I, I could get my eyesight off, and, if, and if, it's, if the eye be evil, the idea there, of course, I mean, evil could have the connotation of moral evil. Obviously, that's going to mess your life up. But more of what he's doing is just an illustration here to say, listen, if your eye's not healthy, if you've got an eye disease or some kind of eye problem, and light's not coming in, you've got darkness, then you may be able to function. I'm telling you, blind people can do some amazing things. I'm not taking anything away from that. But I think every person that has some blindness would say, whether it was because of cataract or because of some other problem, once they once they that was remedied, then I'm telling you, they, they would say, wow, this is wonderful. Now I can see clearly. But too many Christians are going through life living just for what's going on right now with no thought for what's eternal. And you're not seeing things clearly. Because I'm telling you, serving the Lord is more important than you serving yourself whatever form that takes. You say, well, I can do it. I can, I, can, I can live for what I want and I can serve God. Not according to what Jesus said. He said this because you're, you understand that you're going to serve some master. And either God is your ruler and he's going to keep things secure or you're your ruler and you're going to try to keep things secure. But only he keeps things secure so you ought to serve him. And you can't serve two masters. You can't belong to two. You say, well, you can work two jobs. That's not what he's talking about. This is, these, he's comparing this to the days when there was slavery. And he said, you can't be a two people's slave. You're going to serve the one or you're going you're to despise the other. You're going to let some things go. In other words, he's saying this. Listen, the focus of your life must be on eternal things. Because if it's not on eternal things, it's on things that's not going to last. And it won't pan out like you think that it is. And it's not like you think that it is. It's very elusive. It's very appealing. But it's very temporary. And you may not be living for the right goals in life. I'm asking you this morning to really take a good look, a biblical look, a look through the lens of eternity to see what really matters in this life. Because once you look at it that way, and regardless of what the secular society says and what they're trying to get us to believe that life would be better without God, I'm here to tell you on the authority of what the resurrected Savior said, life is not better without God. Life is confusing and blurry and, and, and hurtful and damaging to others. But I'm telling you, life under God's rule, where you're trusting Him and living for Him, then life has meaning and purpose and it has direction direction and there's clarity. And listen, you on this side, you're not going to see what those kids, I mean, many of you have given so that we could run those buses. You don't know all those kids that came on bus number 19, but some of them do. And Jesus does. And someday they'll live forever with him in heaven if they trust him as their savior. And you may not be able to see that right now, but regardless if you can see it on this side or not, that does not negate the fact that it's true. Right, right, right. 
And you need to be living for eternal things. Not just for your own comfort, pleasure, position. And all the other things the world tells us. Put this on and you'll be amazed. I'm telling you, it's misleading. Father, today, I thank you for your word. Even in a secular society that is trying to exclude, certainly not include you in their decisions of life. And we, even as modern day disciples, are tempted to live independently of you. And God, it shows up in our lack of attention to spiritual things at times, whether it's like a Bible reading or prayer time or service in your church and in, your, in the families. God, we, uh, we need you to examine our eyesight spiritually and to help us, Lord, to live for things eternal. As we have the invitation, dear God, I pray that you would call believers to repentance and righteousness, Lord, to see things clearly the way that you do. And Lord, I know the benefit of that is eternal things. And so we thank you for the safeguard that you provide. And so help us now, I pray in this invitation in Jesus' name.